Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Wow. What an honor to be here. So good to be with you today and uh, bring greetings from Columbus, Ohio, uh, my wife Shaylin and our three kids. And uh, I, I saw so many familiar faces this morning and uh, some new faces also and just so grateful to be here and uh, to be able to be a part of, of this service and this weekend. And I want to just before I get into my message, I want to give honor to uh, Pastor Chad Gilligan and Rhonda, who are, have just been incredible mentors in our lives. You know, uh, Pastor Chad mentioned we, kept, we got here in 2006. We were in our 20s. We had a lot of zeal and not a lot of experience. And uh, you don't get experience without somebody giving you an opportunity. And so Pastor Chad gave us an opportunity to come here and to serve uh, the, the youth ministry here and the church as a whole. And I just learned so much about life, learned about God, learned about uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus from watching Pastor Chad. I, I feel like, uh, you know, every time you open up the, the news apps or the news cycle comes through, there's some, something being revealed about a leader that presented themselves to be one thing and then behind the scenes they were something else. And I'm just so thankful for a leader like Pastor Chad, who I, I was able to observe day in and day out, week in and week out. And I can tell you that uh, the walk matches the talk. I've just never been around somebody that was, had so much integrity, uh, grace, an amazing husband and father. And, um, and so I, I'm really the beneficiary of that. So Pastor Chad, you're probably not watching the live stream. You're probably doing you know, in your class or whatever you're working on. But uh, I love you so much and so thankful for you. Uh, you know, when we left here in, in 2010, we went to a new city, went to Columbus, Ohio. We didn't know anybody. We, we didn't have anybody waiting on us. In fact, it was uh, Lisa Vandervluck, some of you would know Lisa, helped us load up our truck and then drove to Columbus with us to help us unload it. And uh, that, that was all we had. We, had. we had a check that this church gave to open up the church bank account. And uh, I went to the community and said, I, I need to get a job. How many of you know churches that have not planted yet do not pay well? <laughs> pretty lean salary, okay? And so I, I thought, you know, I, I need to get a job in the community, and I wanted to go to a high-traffic place so I could meet as many people as possible. So I went to this place. Uh, there's actually one across the street. Uh, the, it used to be called Urban Active Fitness. Now it's LA Fitness. Uh, and so I went in, and I had actually put my resume in all over town in Columbus. I couldn't get a call back because I have a degree in theology. Theology means the study of God, so I have a degree in God. And so like the marketplace is like, eh, you know, what are we going to do with that? Doesn't really mean anything to the widgets we're trying to sell. And so I couldn't get a job. And so I went into Urban Active Fitness to pretend to want a membership so I could talk to somebody. And the, the GM comes out. Because how many of you know when you're ready to spend money, they, the, the important people are like, sure, we'd like to meet you, sir. So that's what happened, and he takes me on a tour around the gym. I get about halfway through the tour, and I just stop him. I said, listen, i got to come clean. My name's Greg. I'm moving here to plant a church. I said, what I really need is a job, and if you hire me, I'll be the best employee that you've ever had. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'll be the best employee you've ever had. I said, uh, I will treat everybody with honor and respect. I'll learn as many names as I possibly can. Uh, you'll never have to clean up one of my messes in the lobby. I'll be on time every single day. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to work the front desk. I want everybody that comes in this place to have to walk past me. He said, you're hired, man. We've never had anybody that passionate about the front desk. <laughs> so he hired me. 
He said, what shift do you want to work? I said, what do you mean? You're the boss, man. You're Batman. I'm Robin. You tell me. What do you want me to work? He said, we need an opener. I said, I'd love to be your opener. What time do I need to be here? He said, be here tomorrow at 4.30 a.m. 4.30 a.m. Yeah, how many of you have ever had your poker face tested? You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm inside. I'm like, what? 4.30 a.m. God's not awake at 4.30 a.m. You think I'm joking? Try praying at 4.30 a.m. God's like, call back at 7. <laughs> Hit me back later. Sir, go back to sleep, okay? Uh, 4.30 a.m. So I got up at 3.45 for a year. 3.45, drank a pot of coffee in Jesus' name. Come on, a pot of coffee. How many of you know between caffeine and the Holy Spirit? some good things can happen. You don't want one without the other. And, and so I, I, I went in every day and I just met people one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, met people. And I began to pastor the gym, 8,000 members at that gym. I was the pastor of the gym. I never went in thinking, you know, uh, I'm just going to try to make it through the day. I never went in that day going, you know, I'm the front desk guy. I'm not the front desk guy. I'm the pastor of this gym. I used to go kind of soft on people as it relates to like marketplace ministry. You know, I was like, I know it's dark out there, guys. It's dark. I know it's tough. It's, we better just hope we can get to Sunday so we can hunker down together and just maybe pray our way through so we can get back into the marketplace. No, I'm telling you, I saw God use the front desk the lowest man on the totem pole, and, and God used me. I, I did marriage counseling at the front desk. I'm at the front desk. I'm not joking. I'm making a smoothie, scanning people in, counseling marriages. I had a guy go get his wife off of an elliptical machine to bring it so I could counsel their marriage around love languages, okay, just being salt and light at the front desk. When, when, I, when I quit the job so I could go full-time at the church after uh, we worked for over a year, uh, at that job. And so when I went to go full time, uh, I told a lady, one of the ladies that had come in, I said, uh, ma'am, uh, I've, I'm, I'm putting my two weeks. So I'm, I'm going to be gone. She said, what are you doing? Where are you going? I said, well, I started a church. I'm a pastor. She goes, I knew something was up with you. I knew it. I just knew it. I said, what do you mean? She said, you always talk nice about your wife. I'm like, what? Is that all you got to do? You just got to learn people's names and talk nice about your wife and you stick out like a sore thumb. I was like, really? But God used it. And really, that's how we started the church from the front desk. After about a year, we had about 100 people and we were setting up and tearing down in a charter school. And we did that for five years. And then over the last five years, we've, uh, we've been able to get two buildings, over 100,000 square feet of buildings. That God has brought us together with some churches that were, uh, they were in decline, and, and God brought us together. And so God's just on the move. And, but I'm just telling you, it, it, it wouldn't have been possible without this church. You guys provided uh, and, and helped develop us as a family, and, and uh, I'm just so thankful and grateful. I, I, um, I want to talk to you today about really on the question, what does it really mean to walk by faith? What does that really mean? Because you hang around in church a lot. We, we sing a lot about faith. We talk a lot about faith. If you spend any time in the Bible, you see a lot about faith. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it, it shares all of these characters that span generations in the Old Testament. By faith, this guy did this. By faith, this lady did that. And then there's a really famous scripture in there, Hebrews 11:6, that says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that uh, we walk by faith, but not by sight. What does that really mean? You know, Jesus says, hey, if you have faith 
the size of a mustard seed. You can speak to the proverbial mountain to be removed. He's speaking metaphorically. He's not talking about Everest. He's talking about the obstacle in your life, the thing that's in front of you. And he said, all you need is like a mustard seed of faith. But what does that, what does that mean? And sometimes like those teachings seem to be dissonant with our lives. Like maybe you've like prayed a prayer of faith that didn't get answered. Maybe you sat next to a bedside of somebody that you love very much and you prayed, Lord, would you heal? And you conjured up and mustered up all the faith you could come up with and they still died. Maybe your business died in COVID. Didn't see it coming, but the business had to be shut down. Uh, maybe you're having a relapse in a, a, a habit that you just can't seem to kick. You get a little bit of victory, you get a little bit of victory, you really trust God, you get real excited, you become optimistic, you pray prayers of faith, and then seem to keep going backwards. So what does it mean to actually truly walk by faith? And that's what I want to talk to you today. Um, I, I want to start with a, in an odd place, in a rocking chair, all right? How many of you know the rocking chair needs to make a comeback? You just don't see the rocking chairs anymore, except at the Cracker Barrel, right? <laughs> I love rocking chairs. I grew, I grew up sitting in a rocking chair. We had a rocking chair in my house. I'm, I'm kind of an intense dude. I'm always moving. So I, I, have you ever been intense in a rocking chair and end up on the other side of the room? <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just true. Um, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about someday... You're going to end up on some rocking chair on some porch somewhere. And so we're going to let the rocking chair today represent the end of our lives when we, we get to where we're headed, we get to where we ultimately end up, and we sit on a rocking chair and we look back over our lives. When you get to that place, you're going to look back and you probably have some regrets maybe, some things you look back on, man, I wish I would have done that different. You know, if I had, if I had it back, I'd do it different. There'd probably be some of that, you know, if, if I knew then what I know now, I'd do it different. But if I knew then what I knew then, I'd probably do the same thing. You get to the end of your life and you look back and you analyze. And of course, uh, years ago, a guy named Stephen Covey wrote a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And, and probably the most famous principle from that book is he says, hey, you got to begin with the end in mind, right? So he says, like, think from the rocking chair backwards, essentially. Think about, like, when you're making decisions now, do it based on a vision of, of, of where you want to go. And I think generally that's pretty good advice, but, but I, I want to add a little something to it because I think instead of trying to predict or anticipate or even engineer your way to a rocking chair to a specific porch, I think that's a mistake. I think what you want to do is to trust God with where you end up and take care of who you are in the process. Instead of predetermining what porch and what rocking chair and where you will end up, predetermine a path of obedience to who you will be on the journey. Because who you are is a lot more important than where you end up. And the problem is we oftentimes have already decided where we want to go, and it may or may not be in alignment with where God wants to take you. Um... I think what, one of the reasons we misunderstand faith and one of the ways we kind of botch this thing up is we think that faith is us going to a whiteboard and coming up with a life plan and a life vision of where we'd like to go and what, where we'd like to end up and then begging God to co-sign. 
coming up with a plan. Okay, Lord, I got the idea. I got the plan. Now I just need Jehovah Jireh to provide the resources to be the conduit to my dream. And then people become very disillusioned because that dream doesn't come to fruition and God doesn't seem to be making it happen. And they go, what's up with faith? Because I, I prayed the prayer of faith and I believe that God was powerful enough. But the problem is it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to walk by faith. You see, we're really good in the church at quoting about half a verse. <laughs> if you quote half a verse, you totally misunderstand it. You got to follow through. You got to read it all the way through. I'll give you two examples that are on topic. All right. Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of, the, of this world. Praise God. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's good. Keep reading. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Keep reading. Then you will know God's will for your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, don't go to the whiteboard until you've been talking to God. Don't go to God and say, here's what I want you to do. He says, when your mind is transformed, then you'll know his will. Then you'll know his path. It's not before you've been conformed. He conforms you to his will. Instead of giving my plan to God and asking him to bless it, I ask God for his plan because it's already blessed. Until I've had my mind renewed, I don't even know where to go and what to do. Okay? You don't seem like you believe me, so I'm going to give you a second verse that we <laughs> quote about half of the verse. Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for the good. Whoo! You ever quoted that one at the devil during a tough time? You're, you're in a tough time. Oh, Romans 8, 20. God causes all things to work together for the good. God causes, have you ever had a friend going through a hard time? You say, oh, you just hang in there. You just hang in there because God causes all things to work together for good. Keep reading. God causes all things to work together for good for those who Love God, keep reading, and who are called according to his purpose. That promise isn't for everybody. you got a part to play in that. If, if I don't love God and I'm not living according to his purpose, he's not on the hook to cause it to work together. See, I see people doing their own thing. they got their own whiteboard. they got their own dream. And it's not coming to fruition, and they become very disillusioned because they got off on their own, and then God's not working it together, but they weren't walking in love and purpose. So we have to get this right because you have to understand there's a very, there's a thin line between a God-given dream and a self-centered hallucination. Big difference. It's a thin line, but a big difference between a God-given dream and self-centered hallucination. And God is not on the hook for my self-centered hallucination. And God is not on the hook for your self-centered hallucination. So we better know the difference between a God-given dream and a self-centered hallucination. Um, I, I just want to take you on sort of a, a cliff note. We're, we're going to just go broad strokes uh, a little bit through kind of the Gospels into the book of Acts. But to really... Uh, to really understand that 
when Jesus came, if you kind of fly up to 10,000 feet and you look at his life, you realize that Jesus pretty much disappointed everybody. Jesus really didn't come and deliver what people were wanting. Okay, let me, let me give you a little background. The nation of Israel, when Jesus showed up, uh, there, there had been hundreds of years of silence. God, God had not spoken to the nation for a long time. There was no deliverer for a long time. So, and they were living in oppression. Pretty much for the entire uh, lifespan of the nation of Israel, they were in and out of oppression. Okay, when you read in the Old Testament, I mean, it's, it's either the Philistines or the Amalekites or the Jebusites or somebody is taking, taking over the nation and is oppressing them and, and, and is ruling over them. Uh, if it wasn't the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians. It was somebody that, that was over top of them that was crushing them down economically, crushing them down militarily. And so they, they found themselves in this situation all the time. By the time Jesus shows up, the newest oppressor is Rome. So the Roman government is over top. And the whole time there's this promise of a Messiah. Messiah just means deliverer. Somebody's going to show up and fix this thing. And, and the self-centered hallucination the, with the, was in the imagination of the nation was that this Messiah would come and the greatest thing they could imagine that he would do would be to come in on a white horse and a a military coup, and now we will become the new Rome. We will become the new empire. We will become the new Babylonians or Assyrians, and we will go to the top of the global food chain. That's what they expected of the Messiah. And so Jesus shows up, and he's walking on water. (laughs) Surely this must be the guy, this water-walking Jesus must be the one who's going to bring us to the top economically, militarily, we will dominate. We will finally be the ones that are over top. We'll be the ones with the power. And so uh, Jesus comes in and he's, he, he's doing miracles and he's defying the laws of physics and he's turning water into wine and he's raising the dead and, and it's beginning to stir up like a following and people are going, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy that's gonna do it. And Jesus says in very clear language, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. I'm not here for that. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to do something greater than that. I'm here to do something more eternal than that. My kingdom is not of this world. And the work that I'm going to do in the world doesn't look like your self-centered hallucination. You just want to be the dominator. You want to be the powerful one. You want to be at the top of the heap. And Jesus said, I, I, didn't come. I came to do something way deeper than that. But, you know, doggone, it's hard to let go of a self-centered hallucination, especially if it feels noble. And you've been clinging to it for 700 years, and your grandparents held on to it, and your great grandparents held on to it, and their, their grandparents, I mean, everybody, we've been wanting this for a long time. We have a paradigm and a profile of what we want to see. And Jesus, no matter how many times he said, My kingdom's not of this world, and I didn't come to do that, they couldn't let go of their self centered hallucination. So finally, Jesus is getting ready, you know, he's died, he's resurrected, there's been a full demonstration of his power. And so he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. Okay, this is, I'm, I know I'm giving you, I'm running you through the Bible quick. But he goes to the book of Acts, he gets his disciples together. And of course, they, they, they're still thinking this, right? Just a few chapters before, they're going, okay, Jesus, when you come into your thing, you know, which one of us is going to be the vice president? Who's going to be the secretary of state? Who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left hand? He's like, oh, you guys have no idea. You want to sit on my right hand, left hand? You don't even know what that means. They're like, oh, we'll do it, man. He's like, you know what he meant, right hand, left hand. You want to do this? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. So he gets to the end. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And the disciples get around. Jesus says, all right, guys, you ready for your marching orders? You ready? You're going to receive power. They're like, yes. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, yes. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're like, yes. Judea, yeah. Samaria. Huh? Samaria. The Samaritans? Yeah, yeah, Samaritans. Remember, we used to go around Samaria. You wanted to go around. I went through. Remember that? Yeah. Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You wanted to be at the top of the global food chain, but what I'm doing is I'm creating a new multicultural. I'm creating, I'm doing something amazing, something different. You're so used to the law separating you, and, and they eat this, and you don't eat that. And you don't eat what they eat, and we don't wear what they wear. He said, and I'm, I'm going to do a miracle. In fact, in fact, what they didn't know is just like a chapter later, they were going to be speaking in other people's languages. I'm bringing you together. I'm going to do something. You, uh, it's going to be a divine, supernatural unity. I'm creating a new family that defies that defies what's normal and natural and tribalism. I'm, I'm going to do It's a miracle. And they're like, so, this is, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Go read your Bible. In, in the book of Acts, they go, so now are you going to go in and restore the kingdom? Jesus is like, I'm not, I, I can't. Need to he ascends to heaven. <laughs> I'm out. So what happens is now the Holy Spirit fills people and the Apostle Paul and others begin to proliferate the gospel all over the Mediterranean Rim. And now the Apostle Paul has the unfortunate task of trying to cast vision to people that don't want the vision. He says, no, I want you to work together. Which leads us to the book of Ephesians. Paul writes the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. And if you were to read the, 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 the totality of the book, you would see that Paul spends a lot of time trying to get Jews and Gentiles to understand their brothers and sisters. Because they don't like each other's culture. And we don't want to do it that way. I, I don't want to be selfless. I don't want to sacrifice. I, I don't want to deny myself and take up my cross. I, wanna, I want it my way. And so the apostle Paul is like, no, no, no. You don't understand. This is the new covenant. You don't understand. This is the new vision. You don't understand. This is what Jesus came to do. And so right in the middle of this book where he's trying to get people that don't want to do the thing that God's doing... He's sorting out the difference between a self-centered hallucination and a God-given dream. Understand these people are so rooted in this that Peter, the apostle Peter, the rock upon this rock, okay, that dude, when he receives the vision, says no. Here's an audible voice from heaven. How staunch, how, how stubborn would you have to be to hear an audible voice from heaven and go, No. That's how rooted in a self-centered hallucination. And so it's right in the middle of that that Paul writes these words. Ephesians 3.20, he says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. I, I think it sings a little better in the King James. He's, it says, Paul says, he says, now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above. To him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above what we would ask or think. And usually we preach that verse and we violate the verse the whole time we preach. 
Because what we try to get folks to do is to imagine something great and then ask for it. And Paul says, sometimes the thing God's doing, the God dream, is exceeding abundantly above what you would ask or imagine. In other words, you wouldn't imagine it, you weren't thinking of it, and you wouldn't ask for it, but it's exceeding abundantly above. Sometimes it's not even in the zone you were thinking. You might as well throw the whiteboard out because it's not what you were thinking. You better have a transformed and renewed mind to see this vision because we can become so dogmatic in our visions, self-centered hallucinations that we can make an argument for and miss the thing that God really wants to do. Don't predetermine your rocking chair. Don't predetermine where you want to end up. Don't predetermine that. Predetermine, God, I will get in the flow of whatever you're doing. I will listen to you. Renew my mind. Show me what you want me to see. And then I'll take that path. And I'll go that way. Share a little piece of our story. So when we left here um, 11 years ago, our daughter Ella was one. And um, got to Columbus and uh, we became pregnant with, well, not we, my wife became pregnant with um, our son, Hudson. We, so we go find out we're having a boy, and I am just fired up. I'm so excited. I'm thinking, this is, this is amazing. You know, I've got great relationship to my wife. I have an amazing relationship with my daughter. I mean, we are like this. Okay, my, my daughter and I are tight, tight, tight. Uh, Ella is a little, she's a little prodigy, man. She, she rides to church with me every Sunday. I preach my sermon in the car to her on the way over, and she critiques me. Dad, your exposition was not very good. Dad, that story, it wasn't as good as you thought it was. She'll suggest jokes. I'm not even kidding. I mean, this kid, she, she wants to be the president and a preacher. I'm not kidding. What do you want to do for, I want to be the president and a preacher. She reached out to Wharton Business School, uh, their admissions office. She's in sixth grade. Hi, my name's Ella Ford. I've done my research. I think that your business school would be amazing. Um, and so I know I'm, I've got about six years here. And uh, I know I won't be able to go back in time. So let me know, what do I need to do now so that in six years, you all will admit me? She has a running conversation. They've emailed her back. She emailed them back. They emailed her back. She emailed them back. She's a little genius. And so we're like, I mean, we're just like, it's amazing. So we, have, we get pregnant with her son. And I'm like, this is great. You know, Hudson, we give birth to him. And uh, Hudson's, Hudson's a little different. He's quiet. You know, he clings to his mom. I'm trying to engage him. I come home. I, I've got this whistle. I come in the house. I'll whistle it, and, and uh, he'll run and hide and, and everything. <laughs> you know? and, and so, uh, you know, I'm working with him, and, and I'm like, you know, Shaylin, I think something's up with Hudson, you know. And she's like, eh, no, I, he's just a boy. They're different and stuff. And uh, I was like, no, I, I was a boy, and I, I get it. Uh, and and um, <laughs> But he... He wasn't coming around. It actually caused a little tension in our marriage because I'm like, I think something's wrong with him. She's like, I don't think anything's wrong. And eventually, uh, we took him to have him screened because he wasn't talking. He wasn't potty training. He wasn't doing a lot of stuff. And we find out, sure enough, he's on the autism spectrum. So we have a son who has autism. I, I, uh, I didn't really know what that meant, to be honest. I didn't know anybody autistic growing up. I, only thing I knew about autism, I'm not trying to be funny. This is honest. I, I only thing I knew about autism was the movie Rain Man. That was all I knew. So I, I was like, what does this mean? Is he going to be with us for the rest of his life? Is he going to be able to fall in love? Will he be able to be a husband or father? Like, what, 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 does he be able to hold down a job? I don't know what this means. 
And my wife was really sad, really upset, and I felt at least a little relieved to know what was going on. At least we, at least we know what's up. Well, there was a man in our church, an adult man who had an adult, an adult son uh, with autism, and he, he gave me some incredible advice. He said, Greg, you need to mourn the son you thought you were going to have so you can accept your son as he is. It was brilliant. I, I didn't, wouldn't have thought of that, to mourn for a son that was still alive. My dad and I are like this. I have a really close relationship to him, and I was just really excited to play that role in the relationship, but it is extremely different than the relationship I have with my dad. So I did. I went through a process of grieving and uh, walked those steps and wrapped my arms around my son. Well, my wife and I decided we were done having kids, and we turned the page mentally but not physically. Yeah. It's not advisable. And uh, if you don't know what that means, you can ask your mom after service. Um, and so we find out we're having another kid. We're having another baby. I'm like, oh, this is cool. We go in, ultrasound, you're having a boy. I'm thinking, wow, wow, my dream's resurrected. It's amazing. Got a great relationship to my daughter, my son Hudson. Well, we've mourned, I've mourned, I've grieved. We're going to circle the wagons around him, special needs. Now I have Miles. Miles pops out looking just like me. I'm like, this is going to be fun. I'm going to have the traditional father-son relationship with Miles. We'll do the whole thing. Well, Miles starts acting like Hudson. Start to slow, find out what's going on, get some help. Find out that if you have one autistic child, you're 30% more likely to have a second. Sure enough, Miles is also on the autism spectrum. So I have two sons with autism. First one didn't hit me as hard. Second one hit me hard, 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 hard. Because it is one thing to grieve for the first time, but then to have their dream resurrected and then to grieve a second time, it's like. I started to realize certain things about, you know, you start to really realize what you believe based on what you do, not what you say. So I'm up here preaching sermons about faith. I'm preaching sermons about prayer. And when Hudson was first diagnosed, I put that boy to bed every night. I would lay my hands on his head and I would pray down fire from heaven. God, heal this boy. Show your power. Do a miracle. God, people will glorify you if this boy wakes up tomorrow with a clear mind. And I prayed it every night, hard, with all the faith I could muster. And nothing happened. In fact, he got worse. When Miles was diagnosed, it wasn't for several months. It took months. I started to realize I hadn't even prayed for him. I hadn't even prayed for him. I was so emotionally fried. I think faith takes a little bit of emotional energy. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I eventually got to where I prayed a single prayer for Miles. You can judge me if you want. I'm not running for anything in Toledo. Okay, I'm not running for anything. I don't care. I'm just telling you the truth. Okay? I prayed one prayer for Miles, and it looked like this. God, I know you can heal him. I have no doubt. You spun this whole universe into existence. You rose from the dead. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, is in these hands. So I know you can heal him. If you want to heal him, I would prefer that. 
I think it would be great. You already know my case. I've made the case of how you would get glory from it. But I don't have the emotional energy to beg you day after day. So you know my heart. You know my capacity. Heal him, please. If you don't heal him, please use him. Please use him. And I started to realize, like, I was slipping into some attitudes. If, listen, if you're going through something hard, painful stuff, there's a tendency to walk away from God, to avoid prayer. Don't do it. Because even if the autism for you doesn't change, even if the thing doesn't change, something like when you pray, there's revelation that comes into your mind. God will show you stuff about you. God will show you very helpful things. God will shape you in certain ways. And, and as, I, as, I, as I return to prayer, God began to show me some stuff. And I'm going to tell you what God showed me about Ephesians 3.20, and then I'll get out of here and you can beat the Baptist to the buffet. I realized that I had slipped into the attitude. All right, God, if you want to kick me in front of the world, fine. Fine. I get it. Got a good life. Our church is doing great. We've got a lot of cool opportunities. Got a great wife. I got a great daughter. I got all these great things going on. I got a lot of friends, people who love me. I love them. I got a good life. It's enviable. If you want to kick me in front of the world, then kick me in front of the world. I'll take it. I'll take it. In fact, you know what I'll do, Lord? I'll make the best out of this situation. I'll make the best out of it. And it was in a time of honesty and prayer that the Lord invaded my mind and said, I don't need you to make the best out of it. I need you to see it as the best. I'm, I'm not asking you to take lemons and make lemonade. I'm asking you to see this as exceeding abundantly above because I know you wouldn't have thought of it and I know you wouldn't have asked for it. The question is, do you believe it's exceeding abundantly above? How are you seeing it? Because the Ephesians didn't want anything to do with the vision God had for their lives. And I realized that my attitude was like, Lord, I want my sons to be great. You know, I mean, isn't that what we want? We want our kids to exceed us our ceiling, their floor. And I'm thinking, this is, you know, God, my, my boys now, they're not going to exceed me. I want to I work and leave it to them. And I, I want them to run with it. And, and God's like, excuse me? Won't you get over yourself? You, you think you can do more, Greg? You think you can do more with little prodigies and some John Maxwell books? And the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership? You think you can do more with that than what I can do with two boys with autism? You know how effective I can be with two boys with autism? You know what I can do? You know where I can take that? You know how I can transform? You know the work I can do? They're going to exceed you. Who do you think you are? Exceeding abundantly above. I end with this. I would pray these prayers, you know, something like, God, my boys have special needs. He'd be like, so do you. <laughs> and you have special gifts, and so do they. You know what's interesting about my sons, my two boys? They love the bus. So whenever they see the school bus, they're like, I mean, they, they, they don't want to get dressed. They don't want to put on clothes and all this. And the bus, they're like, the bus! 
bus and they throw their clothes on and they run to the bus. They love the bus. We had to nickname our family vehicle the car bus. Get them to get on it. Hey, we're going to get on the car bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get on the car bus. You know what's crazy about my boys is my, my sons, <laughs> my sons never ask me where we're going. Hey, boys, get on the car bus. They're like, they go, they just get on. Doesn't matter what they're doing. When I say, hey, car bus, they just go get on the car bus. They don't they have no clue where we're going. No idea. Never ask. You know what's going on in their little minds? <laughs> they're going, they're thinking, hey, we don't know where we're going, but dad does. And uh, I bet there will be food there. Wherever they go, there's food. You know, we go to Ikea, they get pizza. By the way, they, you ever go to Ikea? My kids think Ikea, my boys think Ikea is like our house. My dad has a big, big house. Lots and lots of rooms. They, they, there's beds. They go literally go climb in the bed and pull up the covers. We go, to the, we go to the grocery store. They get a donut. They think it's, you know, Kroger's a big donut shop. Meyer's a big donut shop. And whenever they go to Mimi and Papa's house, they get food. We, we don't know where we're going. We know dad knows, and there's going to be food there. You know what they're thinking? Hey, sometimes we're, we, get, we go places, and our bodies give out, and, we, and somehow we end up in our own bed. I, I, I fall asleep places, other cities. I fall asleep in the back of the car, and I don't know how dad does it. I don't know how he does it, but they wake up in the morning. They're like, dad did it again. Dad did it again. See, my boys don't, they don't ask questions. And here I am praying to God and asking God to make my boys more like me. And God wants me to be more like him. You know, when I was their age, when I was nine years old, every time we went on a family trip, I was sucking my parents into the third circle of hell with the grand inquisition. Where are we going, dad? Dad, where are we going? Where are we going? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are you lost? You think we ought to pull over and stop and ask for direction? Hey, that guy looks like he knows where he's going, dad. Maybe we ought to do it. Dad, are you sure? How much longer? Are we there yet? Hey, dad, I got to go to the bathroom. My dad's like, would you shut up and just trust? I got the map quest. Would you just shut up and trust I know where I'm going and my boys just get on the car? I know I'm talking to somebody today. You got a self-centered hallucination you can't let go of and you're frustrated with God because he's not doing the thing you thought and you prayed what you thought was a prayer of faith and God said, I know you wouldn't have asked for it. I know you didn't imagine it, but do you believe it's exceeding abundantly above? Get on the car bus. Get on the car bus. Trust God. He's got a really good track record of faithfulness. He can take you where he wants you to go. Don't predetermine and fall in love with a virtual image and an imagination of a rocking chair on a certain porch. Let God take you down a side road. Let God take you where he wants you to go. I know you didn't want the business to die. I know you didn't want to have to bury the loved one. I know you didn't want to have the diagnosis. I know you didn't want that stuff. Nobody would have asked for it. Nobody would have imagined. But do you believe? That to him who's able to do immeasurably more, exceeding abundantly above. Get on the car bus. Get on the flow of what God is doing. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Walk in love. Walk in purpose. Walk in faith. Faith, not sight. And trust that if God has taken you this way or God has taken you that way, 
instead of getting mad and fighting about it and taking him back to my whiteboard and trying to trying to upsell God on my idea know the difference between a self-centered hallucination a God-given dream and if you'll surrender and you'll submit to him he's gonna take you to where he wants you to go and when he's ready to give you a rocking chair you'll have one when he takes you to the porch it'll be the porch he wanted you to get to this is what walking by faith looks like today I want to just take a moment and pray with you. You know, we sang earlier the song, Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And God does provide. He provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory. God opens and closes doors according to his will. And we understand that God is the one directing. God is the one driving. God is the one providing. We celebrate closed doors just like we do open doors. Because we know he has no shortage of ability to deliver. And so today, wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through, I want to pray with you that this message would hit your heart and it would go beyond a Sunday into a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It would affect your emotions, would affect your prayers, and allow God to do what he wants to do. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And God, we surrender our wills to yours. God, we, uh, as human beings, so often become overconfident in our perspective Lord, we make arguments for our personal hallucinations, and yet, God, you do immeasurably more. And Lord, the older we get, the more we walk in your purpose and love, we, we see things, the places that you take us go, man, I wouldn't have brought myself here, but man, I'm so glad God brought me here. I'm glad God knew stuff I didn't know. I'm glad God saw things I didn't see. And so today we just re-up on that faith. Lord, you know this last year and a half and, and, and what was going on before that in each of these individuals' lives. And so I pray you would take your word and plant that seed in the hearts of your people. And we will walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you.